This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. Glad to be here with you today. It's kind of cooled down a little bit. I've had to like record at weird times because it's been 3 million degrees in my uh, office out here. Just sweating. It's also why I wear black shirts for the show. If you check those out on our new YouTube channel. Here's the deal with our new YouTube channel. I knew, I knew something was up. I knew something was up. Uh, so now the, you know, we just launched the new YouTube channel. So we are abandoning the old channel. I've got to go in there still and change the name and all that stuff. And I'll probably just use that for like personal whatevers. But, um, the new YouTube channel, if you're watching this on YouTube, this is the channel you're watching it on has 134 subscribers as of, as of today, all of the content that we've put on the new YouTube channel has gotten as many views, if not more views than we're on our old channel with 1500 subscribers or whatever. So. So with 10 times less the audience, or is it 100 times less the audience? No, 10 times less the audience. Yeah, my math is a little fun- funky there. Um, we're getting the same number of views. So my uh, my thesis was correct. That channel was highly suppressed. Highly suppressed. Guys, a couple things we're not going to cover in depth today, but I wanted to bring up uh, the Pelosi investments with NVIDIA um, and just their insider trading in general. Listen, I can just tell you what's up. Yeah, it's insider trading. And it's really hard to prove because it's uh, you have to explicitly find out these people were using insider information, which unless you're tapping the speaker of the house's phone, you're not going to get. Um, it is what it is. We've talked about it a million times. It's not even worth going into. I will say, though, uh, in full transparency, NVIDIA is my largest holding in my stock portfolio, which has stung for a while because I have a lot of faith in that company and what they're doing. Uh, I think it's a really great company. and I think it has a lot of growth potential even in a recession, recessionary environment, uh, because they're the, the, what they make is so essential for the future when it comes to self-driving cars, um, operating within the metaverse with different kinds of construction. Um, and, and more so that more so the commercial applications than the, than the personal applications, but really interesting company. So I'm glad to see that they're going to be, um, investing in that. Do I think that the 52 billion is the best way to go about doing that? Probably not, but it is what it is. That's the world we live in. So we have to accept it. That being said, not much to talk about there. Uh, it could be really good for me. Uh, it could be really good for Nancy Pelosi. This is the first time I've been on the right side of a Pelosi insider trading scheme. So I hope the bill passes uh, for my own general well-being and because I think it's a good company. That's why I'm heavily invested in it. But, yeah, it's the Pelosi's, man. I mean, there's, <laughs> they're doing what they're doing. There's just not much else to say. I think we've covered it on this show like five times. I'm just like, I don't, there's not much else to say. Um, the recession redefinition that's coming up now. Uh, so the Biden administration is just redefining what a recession is. Um, yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, maybe it, like it just doesn't matter. It's like the, the, the definition of a recession does not matter. The impact of a recession on the people matters. So to even go into that and, fl- f- you know, pearl clutch over, well, we've been dealing with changing definitions now for three years whenever it's convenient and both sides will do it. I mean, we even had the Bush administration re- changing global warming to climate change or uh, the death tax to an estate tax or something like that, the, the estate tax to a death tax. There's all kinds of different like finaglings when it comes to the way things are languaged as a marketing um, instrument. So that is what it is. Nothing new. Uh, Biden discussing and just, and just, um, 
kowtowing to the Saudis a little bit. So Biden's over was over in uh, in Saudi Arabia doing his thing recently, and I just want to put this out there because this is all I want to say on the topic, right? Can you imagine Joe Biden negotiating anything for anyone, much less oil, with Saudi Arabia, right? The only thing Joe Biden should be negotiating right now is like how much tapioca pudding he gets at the fucking old folks' home. All right, that's where he should be. That's, that should be his reality. But instead, he's the leader of the free world, supposedly. So, uh, I mean, they can they can dismember American journalists that got us by the balls. What do you want to do? You know, they were going to be a pariah. Now they're not. You know, and and, and Barack Obama was going to codify Roe versus Wade, but he didn't. So here we are. Not much to talk about when it comes to that situation. It's a shit show. Uh, so if you completely lost faith in the American political institutions, you have every reason to do so. But I wanted to bring this up because as we're starting to discuss 2024 and Trump has kind of seeded this announcement, he says he's going to announce something on August 8th. Fox News did this, which I kind of like, but we'll check it out. You, you see what I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to tease it for you. You just see what you think for yourself. I guess I have to tease it because they don't really do a good job introducing it here. Uh, it says, most voters say Trump should run again and prefer DeSantis. America weighs in. Now, they're interviewing people in Maricopa County, Arizona, which is a very red state. And there's a lot of conservatives in Maricopa County. But we'll see uh, what they say here. Mm-hmm. Maricopa County, Arizona. Yes. I don't want him to. I like uh, like what he stands for. I like what he does, but uh, he uh, upset too many people, and he upset him really bad. So I don't think he's good for the party. He needs to get back in. That he already had gained that respect from all the world leaders, and finish what he. You know. Something that trips me out about Trump supporters, like this woman that's speaking. To think that Donald Trump had the respect of world leaders is comical. Like they literally sat around and made fun of him at like a UN summit. <laughs> like that's not, no, that's not how that worked out. You can tell yourself that story, but that is not the reality. And this is a lot. This is the, the deal with any hyperpartisan individuals is they'll they'll tell themselves the story they want to hear and they'll only sift out to find and, and listen to the information that supports their preconceived ideas about what is actually happening, which leaves them with zero intellectual honesty. And a, a, a slipping grasp on reality. So, no, lady, that's not how that went down at all. You know, started. It's too bad that he did what he did do and was fought the whole way along on darn near everything that he did. Yeah, but that's true. That's what happened. So, I'd like to see him not run. If he did, I would vote for him, but I would not recommend he runs. I, I, I voted for Trump both times, and I, I, I love him. I think he was a good candidate, but I think his time has passed. I couldn't. I think that's the most popular position within the Republican base. And I know a lot of people will disagree with that. And I mean, but I see this over and over again. It's like, yeah, I like him. I'd vote for him if he was the candidate, but I wish he wouldn't. That's the most. I love the guy. He kind of got fucked. But at the end of the day, his time has passed. That's where most people are at when it comes to even former Trump supporters or just conservatives in general. And I really respect that. I totally get where they're coming from care less about uh, President Trump uh, personally. Um, 
Uh, I, I prefer somebody different, but if he is the nominee, I'll probably vote for him. You know what? I voted for him for my, my very first time I voted for him. I don't think it'll be best for our country for him to run for re-election. You know, I'm thankful for everything that he's done, but I think that our Republican Party needs to be united. At this point, he's a little too polarizing, and I think that there are candidates out there, Republican candidates, obviously, that obviously. Um, maybe be able to pull in people that he would lose to be able to change this. I would like to see, you know, Governor DeSantis or someone like that, some, some new blood in, in the race. DeSantis run for president, and if he wants to, then he can pick up Donald as a vice president. We're from Florida. Um, DeSantis is, we're big. The idea that Donald Trump would ever be vice president to Ron DeSantis with his ego is incredibly naive. Incredibly naive. Fans of DeSantis on this one. He seems to be much more common sense and able to communicate better to both sides to get those people back that the, the switch. He's done a good job at everything he's tried to do, despite all, you know, it's not all just what he says. It doesn't just happen like that. I believe he's done a good job with a lot of things. And that's just my personal beliefs. I really like DeSantis. I really like DeSantis because I think he can unify the party and I think he's a fighter and a leader. And we need both. Isn't it like a no-nonsense kind of guy, kind of like Trump is? Um, and I, I really appreciate that. I don't want someone, I don't need a politician to get up there and tell, smile and tell me a couple lies. I'd like to someone that speaks the truth, and I, I really feel like DeSantis would be a good option. 100% uh, DeSantis. Uh, there's no question about it. Well, I'm a, I'm a DeSantis fan as well. Um, Donald Trump had a great run. I thought he was a great president while he was president. After the fact, I think we, we've seen a lot of div divisiveness that's come from, from things, and I... I Again, I won't. I wouldn't vote for him in a primary, but the policy that he was able to do, I would. I would probably vote for him in an election, but but not a, not a primary. Uh, I want to apologize for the sound balancing there on Fox News's part. Uh, not great. But what I would want to bring up here is that Fox News really ran a three-minute ad for Ron DeSantis on their channel. <laughs> like Fox News seems like they're forking themselves or kind of. Really drawing a line in the sand here on who, the, where they're going to be pointing their efforts going into 2024, which says a lot about the party. And what you're seeing there is that people are also these these a lot of these not not the MAGA faithful, but real conservatives, real Republicans, people that are identified with the party, are actually tired of the divisiveness as well, and would like for a candidate to be uh, elected in the primary or put in um, to win a primary and ultimately be president that is going to do something about the divisiveness. And I love seeing that. I love seeing that from just normal everyday people because the people that you're going to see on social media that are on their grift doing their thing um, actually benefit from the divisiveness. And I can tell you as somebody who does this thing where I talk to a camera into a microphone about politics and stuff that it's hard not to fall into the trap of just talking about the most divisive shit and trying to make it more divisive because it gets clicks and views. Okay, and I'll say I've said this a million times, like the way that I choose to do this show is actually the worst way to grow an audience, but the audience I have, I love, and I'm in integrity with myself, which is a big part of, of, of feeling good about what you do. So I love seeing more and more people be adamant about a decrease in division from their own side. And to admit that the, that, that, that your candidate, that the person you voted for was, is, is, has become divisive is to take some 
ounce of responsibility, some bit of responsibility uh, for your own decision and and to and the willingness to do something about it, which I honestly uh, respect. But I wanted to bring that to you guys, not really a full segment type of thing, but I wanted to bring that up just so you can kind of see what's going on. I hope you could hear all that again. The sound balancing was mediocre at best. They don't have somebody like Josh who edits our videos that does an incredible job. But um, yeah, man, all that being said, let's get into uh, the state of things. Got a few things to talk about. I think it'll be fun. We'll have a good time. See you in there. All right. And we talk a lot about media on this show, just the role of media, where media is at, the faith in media. Um, And we covered that poll that just kind of showed that faith in media is at an all-time low. I think it was like 7% of people or something, something crazy like that, close to that 10% range, like 1 in 10 people um, actually have faith in our media institutions, which for me is a good thing. For many people is a good thing. And there's now more competition in the media space, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because that ends up um, opening up the door to people that are bad faith actors and on both sides, right? This opens up the door for the Charlie Kirks and the Jink Ugers of the world, which are mirrors of each other in certain respects, um, to do their thing, right? So you've got to kind of sift through that the path people usually go when they get into independent media, somebody hyperpolarizing, and then they realize that they're being like pushed into more divisiveness and then moving to- towards a breaking points or something like that. Um, I've noticed that a bunch of people that have come across my stuff. Of course, we're not nearly as big as breaking points. But it, we, I hear the same thing all the time. They came from, you know, maybe a Tim Pool and Tim Pool got a little crazy for them and they found me or came from like a Young Turks and then came um, my direction, which is really cool. And I feel like breaking points is probably very similar because that's how I got to breaking points actually was through, um, a more leftward, um, orientation into a little bit more of a, of a, I don't like using the word centrist, but you get what I'm saying. But I wanted to pl- bring this up here. This is Katie Turr from MSNBC and she just released a new book called rough draft. And I actually don't hate of all the people on MSNBC, I actually kind of like her. And I think it's because I get this vibe when I watched her and I didn't really watch her much only during, I really only watched these outlets during like election coverage. Um, at the beginning of COVID, I watched a little bit of this stuff, but Katie always seemed like she was resistant to what she was doing <laughs> in a weird way. It, it, and I don't know, I don't agree with her on all the things and, not, and that's not what I'm talking about here. This is more of a personality thing where it's like Maddow seems like she's consciously lying to everyone, Right. And Katie seemed like, I don't know, she, it's like she wanted to do the right thing, right? And like spit the facts. I think there was a lot of pressure from her, the organization she works for um, to do a different thing. I don't know. I'm, giving, I'm being very generous with her just because I get that vibe. But then you see this interview, and this is with The Hill, about her book. And I want to play a couple segments of this that, I, that really stood out to me. So let's dive in real, right here real quick. Let's turn that down a little bit. You know, even just today, we're reporting on the assassination of a world leader. This is after Ukraine and the pandemic and the political divisions and these, you know, nonstop mass murders that we're seeing in schools or supermarkets, Fourth of July parades in this country, big intractable problems that don't seem to be getting any better. So it can be a bit demoralizing. And then on top of that, um, there was just a Gallup poll out today that shows that the trust in, in media, newspapers and television is you know, hitting an all time low. People don't trust us. They don't believe us. And it makes me wonder if this job 
as I'm currently doing it is effective, uh, but if it's doing more harm than good, I don't have a good answer for that. Mm. So uh, those thoughts linger in the back of my mind. Sure. They linger though, because I, I do love it and I do think it's important and I'm hoping to find a way to, to better communicate with people. Okay, so let's look at what she said there. Now you can see a bunch of right-wing media like shared this stuff around and took it a little bit out of context. But I think this is a really honest and vulnerable moment of self-reflection for Katie Turr here where she says, and just look at the way she says this too, because language, even when you're, especially when you're kind of free flow thinking, like she was kind of putting that sentence together, a lot of times you get a lot of uh, genuine um, information out of that kind of that kind of dialogue. So when she says, this job as I'm currently doing it, like questioning its effectiveness, and to me, that shows progress, right? That's a moment of, of reflection. Go like, am I, are we even doing this? Are we going about this the right way? Because clearly it's not effective. Clearly it's not, right? You have faith institutions way down. Ratings are down. Like every indicator, every key performance indicator is, is flashing red, right? With no good. <laughs> Things are going very poorly for the MSNBC, CNNs, and even the Fox Newses of the world. So... When you look at that, and you're like, all right, cool. So at least somebody there. Now, she's the talent, right? I don't think they have that much influence on, 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 the, on the bigger picture. So you're seeing this with CNN trying to move themselves back to, to kind of down the middle news. And you're seeing someone like Katie Turk challenge her own position and, and the utility of her own job role. Which is a big thing to do. It's, it's a, that's a challenging thing to do. I don't think that Rachel Maddow has ever done that. Right, I, I think she's the, she she pretends she's more effective than she is as a way to kind of bolster her own ego. So, to me, this is really interesting, and I'm not taking away the same thing from it as as many people are. Like this is somebody that I would like to see. I mean, in my dream world, right? We're just talking about my own little fantasies here. Split off from MSNBC um, and be aggressively independent, right? Like, of course, understand where your ideological bend is, and we're going to talk about, she's going to share some more about that down the road, but it's almost like the time has passed for down-the-middle journalism, right? It just has. And it's so, the professional wrestling style of politics is so much more fun. Heroes and heels and and cheering for something you know is fake. Like, that's that seems to be where it's headed, for, and it's not for the better. I, don't, I definitely don't think it's for the better. Right. When we we're exhausted with our sports team, so we turn to politics to scratch that itch. Like that doesn't really seem appropriate or effective or or beneficial for society in the slightest. But it is where we are. Now there was one more piece here that you won't see on many other uh outlets because it's um yeah. We'll just play it here and you'll see why. But it's you know, it's not it's not it's not easier to share a ten minute clip that set that, that that you can interpret into whatever you want it to be than to actually give some context. But here's some more stuff that I found really interesting. One of the uh, sections of the book that I was um, nodding along maybe most vigorously with was when you were talking about I think it was when your first book came out, you were doing events for it, and you came to this realization that at least some of your audience saw you as a teammate rather than as a journalist. And you go on from there to talk about an essay, I guess, you wrote for the TV show, where you referred to the fact that journalism should make people uncomfortable if it's done properly, but that there seems to be an increasing tendency to seek comfort, to seek the reaffirmation of what you know, the audience already believes. Um, 
I agree with you for what that's worth, but it's, it's pretty depressing, is it not? It's very depressing, and I think it's a big problem. I mean, mm. I, especially after the last book and after the last campaign, I got people, you know, saying, thank you for fighting for me. And while I found it, um, I found it uh, humbling that people saw me in that light, I also found it a bit disturbing because... Mm. I wasn't fighting for anybody. I was fighting for the truth and facts. And, and it just so happened that Donald Trump was on the other side of truth and facts <laughs> a lot of the time. And I was trying to make that clear. It wasn't fighting for any particular political party. Um, and, I, and I wanted that to be um, known to my viewers that you don't want me fighting for your political party because there might come a day where you don't agree with it any longer. Right. And you'll think, hey, I want a, an unbiased journalist. Or I want a journalist who will be fair mm. uh, to both sides. And you don't want a teammate in that role. It's, it's not good for you. It's not good for our society. It's certainly not good for our democracy. There are places where you can get that, but you should, you should want there to be a healthy number of nonpartisan, biased toward the facts journalists out there who can mm. tell you what's really going on without their own personal opinions intervening or mm. getting in the way. And so I tried to make that clear and I, I found it a difficult thing to convey to a lot of people out there who just felt like, I guess they felt like the moment was so scary mm. and so dire with Donald Trump and the presidency that, that they needed to, to seek comfort in somebody who they felt like was fighting, a, fighting the good fight. I mean, on one and here's what I want to say in distant response to that one, that sounds almost like an answer I would give in the similar position, which is kind of interesting to me. But two, there are ways to go about resolving that situation through the lens of MSNBC that were actually appropriate and could have been very effective, right? One thing you got to do, if you're going to consider yourself unbiased, then you've got to give people you don't like credit where credit is due. Sometimes I have to give Ted Cruz credit for something he did. I don't like doing it, but whenever it comes up, I make sure to bring it up on the show because it's important for me to say, hey, I don't like this guy, right? But he did a good thing, right? I, did that, I had to do the same thing with Dan Crenshaw when he was talking about psychedelics for PTSD in veterans. Right? This is an area that he has can have a lot of influence in. Dan Crenshaw has become a clown to me in many ways, but in that one area, if he has the balls to follow through with it, I've got to give the dude credit where credit is due. And that's something that, the, that MSNBC, MSNBC should have done with Trump because they've stoked the fear. Right. One thing she doesn't say, what she thinks she doesn't bring up here, and both, I mean, both partisan outlets do this, right? Fox News does this. I mean, you have Laura Ingram on Fox News talking about how these mass shooters are users of, of marijuana, right? <laughs> like, it's like that's as if weed is making people shoot schools up. Like, it's the craziest thing in the world, stoking fear around a thing that is relatively innocuous. So, you see it on both sides all the time, but there's not this moment of of reckoning within your own network. And of course, you can't really do that since she still has a role at the network, and there's probably you know the, the consequences of doing that. But it seems like she's saying it without saying it, right? They fed into the fear instead of trying to calm people the fuck down. When you have a, when you have a frantic in, um, community, you need to calm them down, right? And whenever Trump says something that's true, even though it's an inconvenient Trump uh, inconvenient truth. For MSNBC, they've got to say when he's right. Because if everything that Trump touches, because he touches it, becomes wrong, you now lose credibility. That's why your that's why your ratings are shit, right? 
And with someone like, let's just use, I mean, of course, Jimmy Dore is hyperbolic, but he'll give credit where credit is due, regardless of whether or not he likes the person. And he'll go after people that he's friends with because when they, when they step out and challenge them. And I, I appreciate that. And people on the left, like Jink Uger, for example, have turned into little crybaby bitches about this. Like it's become comical to, to, to see these people try and, try and, um, articulate themselves around not liking being criticized. And of course I get criticized for not liking being criticized, right? Like it's, it's a not an easy thing to do to be, to allow your ideas that you've attached yourself to, to be criticized by somebody um, that you feel is like used to be on your team that may be betraying you. But when you look at the whole thing here, when it comes to the way MSNBC has handled the last six years or so, they've, they've, lost so much respect and I can see as someone if I can put myself in the situation in the shoes of of Katie Tur here it's got to be exhausting and disheartening and honestly kind of confusing right like put yourself in that situation let's do a little empathy practice here and put yourself in the situation where you're trying to be like a real journalist here and everybody from around you and above and below is 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 rooting for you to be a team leader to be a part think about how intoxicating that is for people to come up and you, and you, you want to sink into that of like I am a part of a team. I'm leading the team. You went from just being somebody who covered uh, stories to now you are a a representative of the right, the righteous, the good. That's an intoxicating feeling, right? I think Tim Pool has actually fallen fallen prey to that. I, I don't hate Tim Pool, but his takes are so predictable now, right? I can be like, oh, okay, I know what he's going to say because now he feels like he's a representative of a team, right? And I get that too. I mean, I, I get a little bit of that here and there. Um, but the people, the funny thing, the people that are on my team appreciate being challenged, right? And I, I get those messages more than anything else of like, yeah, I don't always agree with you, but I appreciate your perspective. And I appreciate that, you know, I don't appreciate stupid fucking comments, but I appreciate that. So I've kind of tried to cultivate this team of like, let's challenge each other. Let's do our thing. Even with this politically homeless summit that me and Will Rouge are, are discussing at the moment, it's like, yeah, it's going to be very, it's going to be very, um, challenging. You know, there's going to be a lot of tough conversations. It's going to be a little bit confrontational. And that's what I want. I don't want to sit around like at a CPAC. I'm going to CPAC this week, next weekend in Dallas. And I get to watch a bunch of people hear what they want to hear and rue and raw and root for their team. And if you go to any DNC sanctioned event, it's going to be the same bullshit. You know, and like, why? Is there going to be any kind of, of dissenting opinion? Is anybody going to be challenged at CPAC? No. I might be by being there, but like, I'm asking for that. So to me, this is a lot about where we are. I really appreciate Katie getting into this kind of stuff. I and mean, this stuff may seem meaningless to you guys, but at the same time, it's like I just think about this stuff a lot. Because what got me into doing this kind of work is that I'm just fascinated with human behavior. Like, I really just appreciate and enjoy like learning about why people do the silly shit that we do. I understand when we do the great shit we do, but like, why do we do the silly shit we do? I can't even figure that out in my own life, but it fascinates me. So I wanted to bring this up and just share this because I think it says a lot about where the media is now. And I would love to see Katie split off and do something else. But then again, you can't really carry the audience. You're not going to be making that big paycheck every year. It's a weird time, but I like it. There's something here. And I wanted to kind of talk that out with you guys and just see uh, maybe what you have to say. So let me know if I'm just talking to talk or if this is, there's actually something here that seems like a, a, a nugget that we, can, that we can latch on to and maybe move us in a better direction going forward. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creator of Element. It's a hydrating beverage mix that has, uh, let's see, magnesium, salt, citric acid, potassium chloride, natural flavors, and stevia leaf extract. 
Stevie's in there because it tastes delicious, but there's absolutely no sugar in this delicious little packet of goodness. Now, it's hot right now. I mean, I'm holding a jar, a big-ass jar, that uh, was completely full of element when I started this show. And now we're at the end. I'm doing my ad read here. It's empty because it's hot, and being hydrated is super important. I like to do things outside. If you like to do things outside, if you like to play golf, go on hikes, go on walks, walk your dog, exercise, eat good. I mean, if you do any of these things that are really just pragmatic things for your own health and well-being, then you need Element. And here's the offer I've got for you today. If you go to drinkelement.com slash wanders, the link is in the show notes of this show. If you go there and you buy, let's just say a pack of raspberry. Raspberry is a good go-to flavor. Raspberry, watermelon, good go-to flavors. Everybody loves them. You're also going to get a free variety pack with that order that has all the most popular flavors. So get yourself some watermelon or some raspberry and then make sure to go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. Links in the show notes. And you're going to get a variety pack. Then you can try out all the flavors that everybody loves and use that to inform your future purchasing decisions. It's pretty straightforward, guys. I've sold a lot of this stuff and people just keep buying it. That's why they keep doing my ads. One, they love these ad reads because they're fantastic. Let's be real. And two, my audience just loves staying moist on the inside, and they just keep buying Element because it's that fucking good. It will increase the amount of water you drink. It'll increase the absorption of that water into your whole situation, and you're just going to feel better, be better. So guys, use it. It's hot outside. Everywhere we're at, it's like 140,000 degrees in Europe right now. Drink Element. D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders. Free variety pack with your order. Make it happen. You know you want to. Now let's get back to the show. So in this, um, what people are calling the post-row era, it's been very interesting. Um, and more and more stuff is going around. We're going to talk about this and something to think about. Maybe why uh, Republicans are acting the way that they're acting and doing what they're doing. And um, I think I might be on to something with that, but we'll get there later on. Right now, we're going to talk about um, <laughs> access to contraception. So it says, House passes bill guaranteeing contraception access in response to the SCOTUS decision. Next up, we're talking gay marriage. Like, Stay tuned. Um, the House representatives approved legislation guaranteeing access to contraception nationwide Thursday, nearly one month after the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas indicated support for reversing a key president, precedent providing rest, uh, restrictions or prohibiting, excuse me, prohibiting restrictions on birth control. The Right to Contraceptions Act passed 228 to 195 with eight Republicans joining all Democrats in favor of the bill. So 195 Republicans voted against access to contraceptives. Let that sink in. 195. Wow. The GOPers who backed legislation were Liz Cheney of Wyoming, Brian Fitzpatrick, Anthony Gonzalez, John Katko, blah, 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 Adam Kinzer, Nancy Mays, Mary, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? All right. Um, the bill would codify the right to obtain contraceptives defined as any device or medication used to prevent pregnancy in federal law. Listed examples include oral contraceptives, injections, implants, and intrauteral devices and emergency contraceptives, which prevent pregnancy several days after unprotected sex. 
The bill also lets federal and state governments, governments, patients, and healthcare providers bring civil suits against states or state officials that attempt to restrict birth control access. Love hearing that. The legislation faces an uphill battle to pass the 50-50 Senate where at least 10 GOP votes would be needed to advance the bill. Let me read that again for you. Just so we can, again, let it all sink in. The legislation faces an uphill battle to pass the 50-50 Senate where at least 10 GOP votes would be needed to advance the bill. So you can't get 10 Republican senators to vote to guarantee access to birth control. This is the party of pragmatism. This is the party of freedom. The party that says, the party who is exclusively wearing pro-freedom t-shirt, pro-freedom bumper stickers, fuck you snowflake, that kind of bullshit. Those fucking assholes are the same people that won't vote to guarantee access to birth control. Now, my criticism of this is that, okay, well, the, 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 the Clarence Thomas comments and opinion um, have led to some action. I don't know why the leaked Roe versus Wade uh, document didn't lead to action months ago since you're capable of doing something here. But let's just keep this in mind. 10 votes. You need 10 GOP votes to overcome the filibuster. And that's going to be an uphill battle? What fucking world are we trying to live in here? Now, we move forward here. Here we go. House votes to reaffirm legality of same-sex marriage. 157 Republicans vote no. Again, the party... The pro-freedom party. I'm going to go to CPAC this weekend or next weekend, and I'm going to hear these people talk about freedom over and over and over and over again, and they're so full of shit. They're so full of shit. And I had somebody come at me in the comments of a post I posted about, like, if you're not pro-gay marriage, like, you're not pro-freedom, basically is what I was saying. It's like, and that's the thing. You may not agree with gay marriage. It's not in your fucking business what somebody does with themselves. That's what pro-freedom means. You can not agree with something. But it's not your place to tell somebody what they can and can't do. That's what being pro-freedom is, right? You may think that marriage, this is erroneous belief, but you may think that marriage is some God-given something, blah, 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 whatever. It's not, but you can think that and you can believe that, and that's fine. And maybe your God hates gay people. Whatever, you can believe that too. That's part of being pro-freedom. I don't agree with you, and I don't believe those things, but me being uh, having pro-freedom as a principle, right, means that I can't, Dictate what you believe and do with yourself. Do you get it? It's not complicated, right? My beliefs have zero impact on your life. That's pro-freedom. I don't know who I'm having to explain this to now, but I don't understand. I don't think that these 157 Republicans actually understand that. They don't actually understand what freedom is. Maybe since we're redefining uh, recession, we can redefine what freedom means to fit the Republican narrative. It's freedom within the context of my belief system. That's what, that's what Republicans mean by freedom. Freedom within, through the lens of whatever religion I choose, no matter how much has changed in the past 2,000 years, right? That doesn't, that's not important. What's important is what I believe now and how I can control your life with what I believe. Moving on here, the House representatives voted Thursday to affirm the legality of same-sex marriage after the Supreme Court last month reversed its position on abortion rights, sparking concern that other major rulings may be revisited. 47 Republicans, including New York reps, at least blah, 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 blah. 
uh, backed the Democrats in the 267 to 157 vote. It's unclear, however, if the Democrats, if the Democrat-controlled Senate will vote on the measure to make permanent the effect of Supreme Court's 2015 ruling in Obergefell versus Hodges, which allowed gay and lesbian couples to wed in all 50 states. I remember when that happened. It was a big party in Austin. I loved it. Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin said Tuesday that there may not be enough time to send the bill to the president's desk this year, even if there's enough Republican support to clear the 60-volt threshold required to proceed. Durbin says we have more priorities than we have time. Doesn't seem like that big a deal. Should just easily pass, right? Like people could get married if they want to get married. The benefits of marriage are are rights to Americans, and that means if you're a gay American or a straight American, what does it have to do with that? Does, that doesn't matter. You're an American. You get you get the rights that an American has. That means you can get married and, and reap the benefits of that. And if you are in the hospital and you have a spouse that is of the same sex, they get to have uh, make decisions with you. They get to see you. They get preferential treatment in the hospital. Um, they can have a power of attorney. These are all things that are really important and pragmatic for all people. And um, gay people do not <laughs> deserve to be barred from those rights. I don't know why that's controversial. You don't have enough fucking time. Hey, Nancy Pelosi, or uh, hey, Chuck Schumer, put that shit in the Senate and vote on it, and it should pass overwhelmingly. There might be like one or two senators that shouldn't vote on this because they're fucking asshats. Why are we having this conversation? Why are we doing this? You know? Like, I, I just, I can't wrap my fucking mind around it. The Supreme Court on June 24th voted in Dobb versus Jackson to rescind federal abortion rights and return the issue to the states. Blah, 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 blah. The five-justice majority opinion accused dissenting justices of attempting to stroke unfounded fear that our decision will imperil. Other rulings that legalize the use of contraception and sexual relationships between people of the same sex and same-sex marriage. Which it seems like they have. It seems like they have. So we're in this situation here where access to birth control, which is, has, has prevented more abortions than literally anything else. It's prevented more abortions than Christianity. It's prevented more abortions than sex education. It's prevented the most abortions. So what's the problem? How does that conflict with your belief system? Now, there are ways to go about, I don't, birth control is not healthy, it's not good for people, but it's generally the lesser of two evils when it comes to the situation that you're in, and somebody who's a sexually active adult who doesn't want to have children, which again, is your right as a human being and an American, and even if somebody doesn't agree with that, you can take your pussy or your dick out into the open market and do with it as you please. Right? I don't understand why Republicans think they have so much, can have so much influence on what people do with their downstairs parts. What is the obsession? What is the obsession? I don't get it. I, I, I sincerely cannot wrap my fucking mind around it. These were conversations that were being had when I was in junior high. These are no longer controversial. The only people that were really on this side, this this side, the current side of the situation that Republicans seem to be overwhelmingly excited about, were like Rush Limbaugh. I mean, come the fuck 
on. I'm disgusted by all of this. The fact that you have an uphill battle to codify same-sex marriage and access to birth control says all you need to hear about your pro-freedom party. I've said it so long, even through COVID, when it seemed like the Republicans were finally on the right track. I've said it, and I'll keep saying it. We do not have a pro-freedom party of substance in this country. We do have the Libertarian Party, but they're tiny. It's probably where I'll be voting in 2024, but they're tiny. And they will not win yet. And I don't even love all their ideas, but it's the better alternative. I'd rather throw my vote away doing that and voting to have other parties. When you vote for a third-party candidate, this is my thought too. When you vote for a third-party candidate, it's not necessarily that you're voting for the third-party candidate to win. You're voting for having a third party. And if you can get enough people to make that move where it becomes popular, then we're going to see better debates in my opinion and a more open uh, election system. But we're in this situation where the Senate now has to fight an uphill battle to affirm gay marriage and access to birth control. Basic rights that all Americans should have. And the thing that really irks me the most is that these are the same motherfuckers who were stroking themselves off for their love of freedom. Well, we haven't talked about Ukraine in a little while, mostly because um, I was getting kind of tired of being called a Putin puppet or a Russian apologist or all these other things for um, wanting to bring peace to Ukraine. I wanted Ukraine to be a land of peace and prosperity and not have people um, be needlessly killed. But apparently that's the uh, Russian narrative. But now it seems that things are changing. So maybe I can speak my mind again. It seems that things are changing and people are embracing reality. Corru- corruption concerns involving Ukraine are revisited as the war in Russia drags on. This is from NPR. Now, NPR would not release an article like this unless they had the go-ahead from their overlords <laughs> in the military-industrial complex. So, um, corruption concerns involving Ukraine. One of, if not the most corrupt country in Europe. That's been, that's been widely understood for a long time long time. This is not some kind of like new information that we're all just stumbling upon. Ukraine is hella corrupt. And that we were we were having discussions with Zelensky about the corruption in Ukraine before Putin invaded. Now do I think Putin should have invaded Ukraine? No. I understand there's reasons for it and it's reasonably justifiable based on what was going on and poking the bear for the past fucking 20 years and and I think Anthony Blinken has a lot of uh, explaining to do as far as as far as um what happened and how it happened and why it happened and his naivete and his arrogance there's a lot of conversations need to be had about that cuz I would have preferred for this never to have happened but we're here now we are here now and that's worth noting and to be in denial of the level of corruption that exists within Ukraine after we spent how many billions of dollars in aid, right? And some of those weapons that we sent over there might have ended up on the black market and that pocket that get that cash might have got pocketed. Or maybe some of that those those uh the the financial aid could have been sent to some project from some shell company and ended up in some oligarch's pocket. These are all things that are very likely and we had zero infrastructure in place to understand where that money or where those weapons were going. 
which really reminds me a lot of what happened in Afghanistan with the Mujahideen. When you have extremist elements to a country, it's probably not the best idea to give them an endless flow of fucking weapons. So let's read through this a little bit. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, dis, uh, dismal, excuse me, I cannot read. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's dis, dismissal of senior officials is casting an inconvenient light on the issue that the Biden administration has largely ignored since the outbreak of war with Russia. Ukraine's history of rampant corruption and shaky governments governance. As it pressed ahead with the, with providing tens of billions of dollars in military, economic, and direct financial support aid to Ukraine, it encourages its allies to do the same. The Biden administration is now once again grappling with longstanding worries about Ukraine's suitability as a recipient of massive infusions of American aid. Those issues, which date back decades and were not an insignificant part of former President Donald Trump's first impeachment, have been largely pushed to the back burner in the immediate run-up to Russia's invasion and during the first months of the conflict in the U.S. as its partners rallied to Ukraine's defense. But Zelensky's weekend firings of his top prosecutor, intelligence chief, and other senior officials have resurfaced those concerns and may have inadvertently given fresh attention to allegations of high-level corruption in Kiev made by one outspoken U.S. lawmaker. Wow. It's a delicate issue for the Biden administration. With billions of aid flowing to Ukraine, the White House continues to make the case for supporting Zelensky's government with an American public increasingly focused on domestic issues like high gas prices and inflation. High-profile supporters of Ukraine in both parties also want to avoid a backlash that could make it more difficult to pass future aid packages. We don't want the American public to know about what's going on in Ukraine because that might influence our ability to pass further aid packages. Quiet part, out the fuck loud. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. And then while this is going on, while people are remembering the corruption that exists within Ukraine, Zelensky is um, calling Tulsi Gabbard, Rand Paul, and a bunch of other people propagandists. Russian propagandists, says here, Tulsi Gabbard, Rand Paul, placed on list of Russian propagandists by Ukraine. Okay. Okay. Let's read through some of this. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and former Hawaii Representative Tulsi Gabbard have been listed by Ukraine among a number of American politicians, academics, and activists Kiev claims have promoted Russian propaganda. The list was compiled by the Ukrainian Center for Countering Disinformation. So the thought police of, of, of Ukraine, uh, founded in 2021 by Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to study the impact of Russian disinformation. The center uh, is part of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council. The list, which also includes retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, military strategist Edward Ludwig, political strategist, uh, scientist John Mersheimer, and journalist Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, does not explain what the consequences are for those who Ukraine clearly considers responsible for promoting the Kremlin's line, but it offers explanations for inclusion on the list. In April, Paul said President Joe Biden provoked Russia by invading its neighbor and advocating Ukraine's entrance into NATO. Yeah. Everybody who tried to get Ukraine into NATO, which was the reddest of red lines for Russia, is a part of this problem. That is a fact. In the same way that if the CCP 
tried to uh, put Mexico and it's one of its defense organizations. We'd be really upset with that. If, 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 this, if China decided to put bioweapons labs on our border in Mexico, we'd have a problem with that. If, if China wanted to put nuclear weapons in fucking Mexico, what would happen? I don't know. Look back to the fucking Cuban Missile Crisis. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Global superpowers don't like other global superpowers putting nukes on their border. I know it's a novel concept for some to understand, but that's not a really fun thing for people to have to deal with. And when you have a dictator in Vladimir Putin and a strong man, well, eventually he's going to do something. Eventually he's going to do something. And this is that thing. <sighs> Moving on. He also said, you could also argue that countries that they've attacked were part of Russia are part of the Soviet Union. Paul was immediately rebuked by the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who said Russia was not justified in invading Ukraine. Of course, Blinken would say that because he's part of the justification for invading Ukraine. Right? Do I like this is happening? Do I think it's good? No. I need to reiterate that 7,000 times for the YouTube censors. I don't think this is good. I like Ukrainians and Russians to be alive people, not dead people. That's, that's my bias on the situation is not wanting Ukrainians to die. But the eastern Ukraine has been separate from Ukraine since 2014 because the United States decided to be a good idea to back a coup, which we love to do. I think we've done 28 attempted coups in South America. We love coup d'etat. John Bolton just said it the other day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> Former Representative Gabbard said the U.S. had provoked Putin for many years and that there has been 25 dangerous biolabs in, in Ukraine that could release deadly pathogens. Yeah, that actually was confirmed. That is not misinformation. That's not propaganda. That is a reality. Off the back of COVID, it's important to understand why that matters. The BioLab claims have not been supported, have, have also been supported by Glean, Greenwald, who Ukraine says didn't want the U.S. to help Ukraine to avoid provoking Russia into a nuclear war. Yeah, that's actually a valid concern. That's a proxy war with a nuclear superpower um, is a valid concern. Nuclear war is a very valid concern for everybody. Everybody. It's a huge deal. McGregor is listed as having said that the Russian army was highly skilled and invincible, while Mersheimer is on Ukraine's blacklist for having said NATO provoked Vladimir Putin into war. Yeah, he said that like six years ago. After 2014, Mersheimer, who, by the way, has not been wrong about anything that's happened. He predicted it all. He had a fucking crystal ball. He predicted, predicted all of this stuff. I watched, I've watched probably 10 hours of that guy talking, and he's been spot fucking on. So maybe they're threatened by the fact that he's right. So that's kind of where we're at with this, this, this Ukrainian blacklist. So here's what I want to say to this motherfucker here, uh, Vladimir Zelensky. I feel sorry for you for what's happening to your country. I can't say if it's justified or not because everything I hear, for the most part, from Russia or the United States government or, uh, or Ukraine is mostly propaganda and bullshit. But here's what I can say to you, Zelensky. Your country doesn't fucking exist without our tax dollars. And you don't have the right to come criticize our elected officials. That's not your fucking role. Right now, we're paying the price to make sure your fucking country exists. 
So if you're going to put our elected representatives and our intellectuals on a fucking blacklist like we're Russians, absolutely fucking not, you disrespectful cunt. Out of line. This isn't Ukraine, and this sure as fuck isn't Russia. This is the United States of America. And without us, again, let me reiterate, without the U.S., Ukraine no longer exists. Without America, without the United States of America, Ukraine is Russia today. So watch your fucking mouth. Jesus Christ. How do I have to say that? You're going to put, you're going to put American elected representatives on a blacklist for being, for Russian propaganda? Are you serious? Mersheimer's been spot the fuck on. That's not Russian propaganda. That is facts. Tulsi was speaking facts. It was fucked up when Hillary Clinton did it, but at least she's an American. You don't get to do that. You don't get to do that when everything that's, that, that's, that, that is good is happening in Ukraine has to do with American weapons or American money. You pompous fuckstick. That right there, this blacklist shit was a straw that broke the camel's back for me right now. You expect me to be like, oh my God, I feel so sorry for Ukraine. When they're putting congressmen and women on a blacklist, who the fuck do you think you are, dude? Who in the fuck do you think you are? (laughs) You're a country that needs support to exist. Who's never had a solid economy, who's gone up and down, who is corrupt from the highest levels in the worst way. And you're going to criticize what Americans have to say in criticism of your government. How about you clean up your own fucking bedroom before you go criticizing somebody else like Jordan Peterson says, right? Except the fact that you have the most corrupt country in Europe and you have no right or room to criticize our elected officials or intellectuals or military members for that matter. Focus on what you're supposed to be doing over there and not on us. It's not that hard to say that, but that pisses me the fuck off. Pisses me off. Hate it. Oh, I'm I'm like, (laughs) the funny thing is like, I feel bad for Ukrainian citizens. I feel bad for Russian citizens who are all paying the price for this. But the fact of the matter is, Russia's richer than it was. Now the people are fucked, but the, the oligarchs and Putin are richer than they were. Ukrainian people are suffering. The Donbass is gone. Crimea is gone. Those are now Russia. You're not going to negotiate or fight your way out of that. It is what it is. Sucks. That's the way it works. You can ask the Native, Native Americans how it feels. It fucking sucks. But it's the way the world has to work sometimes. And I, hey, do I like it? No, I wish we could all live in peace and harmony and sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and shit. That's not the way that world works. And their ministry of truth over there coming after American intellectuals, elected representatives, and military members. (sighs) Not okay. And the fact that there's not outrage about this being spit everywhere is, is astonishing to me. Absolutely. But now we've reached that part of the show that majestic beautiful part of the show where I give you something to think about
Something to think about. Let's go. All right. So I um I brought up your gay marriage, contraceptives, all the whole thing. Right? We got the Republicans. The Republicans now, right now. They got a lot of leverage. They got a lot of leverage. And they're not really good with leverage. They're good at being victims. Like the Republicans, for as much as they call people snowflakes, they're really good at being victims. They've gotten good at it because they've lost every culture war for the past 30 fucking years. And now they've got leverage. And here's what I think is happening. And here's why I think we're seeing this birth control issue, uh, the gay marriage issue, like all of this stuff coming up. I think the Republicans have noticed, and this is something to think about, but I think the Republicans have noticed that maybe come 2022-2024, Right, where they're going to win overwhelmingly, it seems, that people are going to actually expect them to do something. That the American people, their base, and people that may, the independents that may vote for them, and maybe the Democrats that move over and vote for them because they're tired of the nonsense, might expect the Republicans to fucking do something. And it's much easier to pretend to care about what people are doing with their downstairs parts than it is to actually get something done. It's, it's hard to deliver. It's hard to craft meaningful legislation and debate it and get it through the House and the Senate, get it signed by the president. That's a challenging effort. It takes, it takes time. It takes compromise, right? It takes some cunning. It takes some skill. And we know that our elected representatives are mostly just coward. cowards. They're just grifters trying to get paid. And if you're just trying to get rich, why would you want to get rich doing something when you can get rich doing nothing besides stoking a culture war? So what you're seeing right now, in my opinion, is the Republicans kind of freaking out that they might actually have to do something productive. And what they're doing is the same thing the fucking Democrats have been doing. They're starting culture wars to divide us even further to avoid the responsibility of actually delivering for their constituents, their voters, and the American people at large. Because they're not different. It's one big club, and you ain't in it, baby. (sighs) But at least you're going to stack a little paper along the way. Is what it is. Something to think about. I love you guys. Thanks for being here. We're having fun. We're having fun. Make sure to subscribe to the new the new YouTube channel. The link will be in the show notes of this show. I would love to have you in the Patreon if you can support the show. Six dollars a month, bonus episode every week, crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon. Share it with some friends. Do your thing, but most of all, keep your head on straight. See you guys next time. Bye bye. <laughs>